So we're going to get started now. Tonight, we titled tonight's talk, Am I Infatuated? If I throw out the word infatuation, what's your view or your definition of infatuation? Looks. Looks. It's like a drug. Like a drug. Obsession. Obsession. Unrealistic. Unrealistic. Is infatuation a negative word or a positive word? Negative. Negative. Both. Both. Could be either. Can you explain? So you can be infatuated with the person you're going to marry, okay? You can be infatuated with them and then end up falling in love with them, okay? Does anyone? Infatuated and feel absolutely nothing at all for months and months and years. Don't you think? I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by your definition of infatuation. Do you think that? Infatuation is positive for a relationship or is it negative for a relationship? You said it can be both. What is it depends. What? If it's in moderation. What? If it's in moderation. In moderation. So infatuation in moderation could be positive, okay? No, it's impossible. Impossible. So good. Infatuation is bad because it's like you're looking for orange glasses, you don't really see the negative in the person because you want to be with them so much, but then again, so, infatuation could be seen as looking through rose-colored glasses, and it could kind of skew the whole dynamics of the relationship, if I understood you correctly. What if you have no relationship at all for like two years? Yeah, it is. Would you be grateful for infatuation after like a desert for two years? Well, if you put it in perspective of not having any relationship, yeah. infatuation, Okay, I would take that, that infatuation is better than, but there are some people here that are saying that it could even be a positive thing. So, um, I'm just fascinated by that, yes? What is the definition, maybe infatuation, like, what is the definition of Well, that's what I'm asking, what is, what is your... Yeah, no, 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 what is the translation of the word? Yeah, for the word, just for the word. More believable than me. What's the translation of the word infatuation in French? So, so you're saying that you think that every relationship starts off with infatuation and slowly leads into something else. Okay. And then what happens when you miss that infatuation because the infatuation was the fun part, now you're into reality and that's where you decide if you want to fall in love with them or if you want to go the other way or... So, so a lot of relationships, you're saying, are starting with infatuation, and then over time, they're developing into something a little more serious, if I understood you correctly. Okay, so... Before, I'm convinced before you met your wife, you were infatuated So, okay, so I'm married, so um, based on your, your hypothesis, um, before I met her, or once I met her? Was I infatuated? Before you met her, you started dating her. 
So in the beginning of our, you're saying in the beginning of our relationship, we were infatuated with one another. And then once they started realizing that, oh, I like this person, this can lead into something. Okay. Over time, the infatuation dissolves. Tonight, my 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 goal tonight, over the course of the next hour, is to really psychoanalyze, to piece apart, and to talk about what is infatuation. My goal of talking about infatuation is not just to give you some very nice pop psychology lesson, but more for you to look at the way you get into and maintain your relationships and see if infatuation has an effect on relationships, positive or negative. We're going to look at that. Before we start, we're going to show a short clip. And I'd like to get, after you watch this clip, I'd like you to look at it analyze it as you watch it. It's not just a, a random movie that we're showing you for fun. And I want to get your feedback on this clip after you see it. Now, now, now that you saw it once, <laughs> now that you saw it once, I want, I want to show it again. Were you able to hear it? No. Was, was anyone able to hear it? No. What's the problem? Why what, is there not a speaker? Well, that's uh, speaker very fast. Speaker is on, I couldn't get it any louder. They speak fast and it's not loud. So let's just, um, let's just kind of psychoanalyze. Uh, Yosh, why don't you just kind of do a director's our directors, and uh, let's let's do it again. One second, I think I can do it with subtitles. Yeah. Let's try this again, and let's do a, a director's version as well.
So what are, what are your thoughts on this? So she's a little bit special. Okay. Okay. So, so, so at first, at at first, it's pretty obvious that he's interested in her, right? I think it'll start coming out as we. So, the purpose in kind of. Uh, the purpose in showing this film, well, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see that and go along. So, tonight, tonight we're talking about am I infatuated? If we. If we just had to define and to psychoanalyze infatuation. Tonight, I put together my six levels or six signs of infatuation. Once again, the purpose of talking about this is not for me to give you a pop psychology class, but rather to start looking at yourself and asking yourself, do I get infatuated? Is infatuation good or bad? What does infatuation have to do with my relationship? And is it the sign of a positive relationship? Is it the sign of a negative relationship? And try to start analyzing it in your own life and seeing how this kind of plays a role in your life. So let's, um, if you can look at your pages, you're going to see the six elements that I speak about. Effort Effortless, image-oriented, temporary, controlled by imagination, selfish, and then promotes insecurity. Infatuation is that intense, almost chemical connection that you feel with someone. Most romantic comedies start off similar to the clip that we just saw. 
most of the way that we view relationships today, most of the way that we look at relationships today, most of the way that we begin relationships today. We're swiping right, we're swiping left, we are looking at various pictures, images on Facebook or in other places. All of these things are playing a role in how we look and how we get into relationships today. I, I said a long time ago that I believe that our society is really, really, really good at first moments. We're terrible at everything after that. We don't actually don't even know what to do. Majority of relationships today are just the first moment kind of intensified or elongated. That's it. A lot of the way that we look, view, and experience relationships today are just intensifying and elongating those first moments and that first kind of uh, that first moment of a relationship. It's sudden and often catches us off guard. It might smack you in the face with someone who wouldn't go for you or in the long run, yet nonetheless, against your will, you feel an attraction. When infatuated, you don't have an appetite. It's difficult to sleep. You find yourself making foolish choices, unable to think rationally. That's infatuated. How do we know about relationships today? Most of how we know about relationships today is not from experience, probably, for a lot of us. But before experience, it's going to be from the movies. Romantic comedies is the second most popular genre in film. First is horror. It's a different story. <laughs> I, I never understood that. I don't know why everyone likes seeing what. So, most romantic comedies, the relationship begins, it's, they experience it, and it ends, or whatever else happens at the, re the resolution of the movie in two hours. So most of our relationships are modeled after two-hour relationships. So we're surprised when our relationship lasts longer than two hours. Most of our relationships are really supposed to last two hours, and if they last longer, well, that's shocking. That's amazing. That's great. Unbelievable. Wow, look at that. I had a longer than two-hour relationship. Years ago, I believed that people knew innately how to be in relationships. Today, we have no idea. We have no role models. We have, the role models that we do have are totally not in line with our style. The, 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 the world has evolved and changed so much that we have absolutely no idea how to reconcile the past with the present and the future. And so, we shouldn't be surprised at the divorce rate in 2017, in the United States of America, was 57%. The divorce rate of people married in the past five years, between the years of 2012 and 2017, in the United States of America, is over 80%. We don't have these stats for Canada and other countries. But I think it's a good inkling of where relationships are headed. And so, a lot of people 
I'm asking a question, and it's an obvious question that I think that you would want to ask yourself. Why bother? Why even bother? Well, that's a, that, that, that's a different story. What I think that the answer is, is we have to start having conversations like this one. Start figuring out, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What's good about my relationship? What's bad about my relationship? What's, uh, what's happening in my relationships? And as we start psychoanalyzing our own relationships, we can slowly learn about what is right and what is wrong based on our own experience. And hopefully, I would recommend that you have a relationship mentor of some sort, someone who can be your role model for a relationship because that's really the only way to do it in today's, today's world. So, let's ask the question. Why is infatuation so powerful? It's so powerful because it touches on a deep human need, the need for connection. Most of relationships touch on that deep human need, the need for connection, that intense feeling, that satisfaction that we get from that deep emotional connection that a long-term relationship can provide for us. In order to get a true, lasting connection, which deepens with time, that which we call love, we need to know how to see through the illusion of infatuation. Infatuation, I'm going to start off answering perhaps the question that we started off tonight with. Infatuation is not good in any way. There's no way that infatuation is good for a long-term relationship. Actually, infatuation is really, really bad for long-term relationships. Let's go through it, and then we'll see. Let's try to, before we, we jump to conclusions and start, and start saying right, wrong, or the obvious, let's try to see what is it, what are we talking about here? That's the point of tonight. We're just gonna take a one element of relationships, and we're gonna go as far as we can into that element of relationships. And that's infatuation tonight. And perhaps a different night, we'll take a different element of relationships and go as far as we can into it, yes? So that's what I want to. That's what I want to kind of. I'm going to give you a lot of scenarios tonight, and my hope is that one of the six things that I've spoken about here, I'm going to explain each of these six things. My assumption is you're going to find yourself if you're honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself, then find somebody else you know, because I'm sure your friends talk to you about the relationships. So nobody wants to. Nobody wants to psychoanalyze themselves. So you can psychoanalyze one of your friends, and so. Um, I think that in that, in, you're going to find either, if you want to talk about yourself or your friend, one of these six things, or maybe two of them, highly doubt three of them, but probably one or two of them will fall into the way you are in relationships or the way your friends or someone you know who you're close to is in relationships. So, there, let's talk about effortless first. Effortless is one of the reasons that infatuation is so addictive. You don't have to work for it. Infatuation doesn't begin with a conscious decision such as, oh, he's cute, and my parents would love him 
I think I'll be infatuated with him. Of course, life would be much easier if that happened. Infatuation sneaks up on you when you least expect it. Strangely enough, it's often the guy or the girl that your parents wouldn't like. As a matter of fact, sometimes you don't even like the person you're infatuated with. You ever think about that one? It's amazing. When you're in a relationship, a great sign whether or not this is a long-term type of relationship is who knows about it. It's a first sign. Who did you tell about it? Oh, I met a guy or I met a girl. Who is the first person you tell about it? We know who the first person you tell about it. But along the line, who is going to know? Are the people important in your life knowing? Or are the people not important? If you find that you may be sitting on a bus and you're talking to a random stranger about your relationship who you'll never see again, that's a sign that you're probably infatuated. If you're an extrovert. If you're an extrovert. Extroverts tend to have to talk to someone and they're not going to talk to the people that they're in a relationship with. Now, what's fascinating also is effortless also means that you may not even like the person. There are some people who exude heightened levels of electromagnetic energy. You know the people who were popular in high school? They're not really popular. They may not even be good-looking. They just have heightened levels of electromagnetic energy, which makes them attractive. Literally, people are attracted to them. It's that simple. Do people who are attracted to them understand why they're attracted to them? Most of them don't even realize. But they're attracted, and I'll tell you the truth. Most of those people who are popular in high school, if you think about it now, they're not very popular today. And a lot of them go on not to live very wholesome lives because they can't handle that attractiveness and that doesn't blend itself into a long-term relationship. Now, there are many, many theories as to why you might be attracted to a particular person. Is it just desire? If you ever read Harville Hendricks, Getting the Love You Want, I just recommended it to somebody. So um, I thought it would be nice to kind of bring it into today's class. That he says that you have some unfinished business from your childhood, which seems to correlate to the issues of the person you like. Whatever the case, it is clear that you can have feelings of attraction for someone you don't respect, for someone you don't even want to have chemistry with, yet the feelings are so strong, they're so compelling that it's hard to walk away. I would say that majority of the relationships I hear about in today's society are a result of effortless infatuation, meaning that they just kind of happen. I can't explain it, it just happened. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, just like, I don't know, something. I just, just boom, it happened. I went out, I wasn't really expecting to meet anybody. I don't know, we just kind of knocked on my door, it just kind of happened. <laughs> I mean, I was minding my own business. I promise you, I wasn't planning on it. 
What's amazing is, why does that happen? That happens is because most of the time we have our guard up. We have our guard up because we don't want to get hurt again. We're like little kids inside. We don't want someone to hurt us. And so therefore, I always like, you know, I, I often end up at some of these Jewish singles events, the meat markets, you know that? Mm. I hate them. I will not, I will not do a speed dating or anything like that. I think it's terrible. Because what happens? Everybody walks in. I look at everyone's body language. The moment they walk in, even some some of you here tonight, it's like this. Oh my gosh, there could be the one. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going, and it could be that I am going to find the one. No, really, I mean, it's only one, right? The rabbi said, I'm not looking for that kind of person. I'm just looking for the one. Can you believe this? Now, I'm going to go there, and it could be tonight's my night. Look, the stars are aligned. This is it. I've been waiting for it. I've been praying for it. I mean, I can go the spiritual way. You can go the physical way. I'm dressed properly for it. I did it pur purposely so I can meet, and it could be tonight, yes, it could be my night. Well, wh what's happening subconsciously through this process is you are putting like 500 barriers between you and everybody else. Because everybody else could be the one. <laughs> well, you, you, you missed the, the whole point. And then, what's amazing is, I always say that the whole question about the Jews and the non-Jews, I'm not going to get into it because it's a, it's a big conversation. I'll let your mother speak. They'll talk to you about that one. But you know what I'm talking about, right? The conversation. Okay. So um, why, do, why do Jews and non-Jews kind of end up working out? Like, how does that happen? It's very simple. Because I'll never date her. I'll never date her. I'll never date him. I'll never date him. I'll never date him. And then all of a sudden, the guard is down because we'll never date. And then we fall in love. Effortless infatuation. <laughs> Do you know what's amazing? I'll tell you the secret to the person who is for you. The person who is for you is the person who is going to make you a better person. That's the person who's for you. The person who's going to challenge you. The person who is going to keep you on your feet and encourage you to help you grow and become better than you can be yourself. That's the person who's for you. But a lot of people end up marrying this person. The one who was, they met through effortless infatuation. And you know what ends up happening? If those relationships could work, they could work for the rest of their life, but those people will never grow. They're the same person that they were when the relationship started. And actually, they probably digress over time. But it's fine. They, the two people kind of blend into their own misery. Rabbi Josh and I have been having a lot of conversations about it because we think that's one of the keys of uh, 
of the issues of relationships today is that a lot of people get into relationships with this kind of effortless infatuation where what ends up happening is it continues to be effortless. Basically, it's a mutual agreement. I scratch my, your back, you scratch mine, happy birthday, whatever, this it is, friends with benefits, that's just, and because we're all looking for the easy way out, not all, many of us are looking for the easy way out, it just seems to be easy. What do you mean? Wasn't life supposed to be easy? Isn't that what it was all about? I mean, come on. I'm not looking for hard. Oh, you know, the Japs. Let me tell you about the Japs. You know about the Japs? The Japs. The Jewish American princesses, right? Those Jewish girls. Do I have to get started about the Jewish girls? I hear it about all the time, right? The Jewish girls. Oh, and they're this, and they're that, and they're that. Yes, of course they are. That's the way they're supposed to be, because their job is to make you into a better person. Hello, good morning. That's the entire point. I didn't say be a Jap. I said that the person you're going to marry is the person who will appreciate you for who you are and appreciate the fact that your job is to help them become a better person. Instead of looking for all the little things, oh, well, I like long walks in the park and um, songs on the beach and I like to play football at twilight. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making up some kind of singles profile that I've never read. But the point of getting married is that two people can be able to be there for one another and give each other what they need and do something that is so valuable. And the most important thing of all, the thing that really truly kills most people, loneliness. A study was recently done, and I just saw it's unbelievable study about longevity. And I thought the results of this study would show longevity, eating well, proper exercise, Exercise and eating more were like number nine and ten on the list of longevity things. Number one, number one was social, sense of community. Loneliness then is the number one killer of people. What's number two? Huh? I don't remember. But that one was really interesting to me. But you can look it up yourself. It's uh, it was part of um, the whole 23andMe uh, DNA. Uh, results. That's what they were. That, that's what they were showing. No, was it the TED Talk? There, there is a TED Talk. Yeah. There's a TED Talk. But it's yeah. normal because we are with parents. They give love for 15 years, 20 years, whatever, and after we, we're just alone. Yeah. So it's very, that's very scary. No, it. We feel I, insecure I, and. Uh, I agree, but I think that. The, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you here, but I am trying to scare you at the same time. I'll tell you why. Because if you don't truly want to get married, you will never get married. If you don't think, we, the Orthodox, the Orthodox Jewish world, we believe the most important thing you can do in your adult life is get married. And, and if you don't think that that is the most important thing you should be doing in your adult life, if you have anything else that comes 
higher than that in your priority list, then you're probably not going to get married. I, I, I talk about this guy all the time because he's, he's an extreme example, but he really inspired me. I lived in Sydney, Australia for a couple of years. And about uh, five or six years ago, I got a phone call from someone I knew in Sydney. I was living here in Montreal. And he said, uh, he's a, a dentist, doctor in Australia. And he said, I'm coming to Montreal. I said, please, it's amazing, come. Spend Shabbat with us, stay with us, whatever you like. Mikasa, Subkasa. So I said, why are you coming? He said, I realize that there's no girls for me in Sydney. I looked in Melbourne, there's no girls either. So I am taking a leave of absence for one year from my work, and I am going around the world to find myself a wife. It's amazing. It was unbelievably inspiring for me. He literally took a leave of absence to work for a year, took him seven months, he found a wonderful woman, brought her back to Australia with him, and was happily ever after. We have to think that that is the most important thing that we can do with our adult life. And if we're not ready for it, then we have to start doing, such as what you're doing tonight, putting us ourselves in situations where we can learn and understand how to be ready for it. But if we're not going to do that, and marriage does happen as a result of effortless infatuation, well, I can't guarantee, I can tell you. I mean, one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot more time now with couples that I'm married than I do with singles looking to get married. And the reason why is because I see a lot of these couples getting married, they are not equipped for a long-lasting, healthy relationship. They need a lot of help, and that's fine. I think it's really, really important. I think that it's a rabbi's job to be able to stand under the chuppah and be able to give a blessing and say that I truly bless this union, and I've done everything in my power to help this union be successful and long-lasting and healthy. That's a rabbi's job, so I'm not, I'm not shying away from that, and I think that more rabbis shouldn't do that. But, if we're going to continue looking at the movies, and we're going to be continuing looking at everything out there for our answers, then we're going to get out into these effortless, infatuated relationships. That's number one, and I would say it's the most common of all infatuation. Now let's go to number two. Number two is image-oriented infatuation. Infatuation is very image-oriented. When infatuated, you get caught up in who you think the person is. Or, more precisely, what you want them to be. The spell is often broken when you learn about the person, but until then, you're able to remain in a state of ecstasy. Or perhaps one should say, imagine ecstasy. There's a lot of people who have this idea of the person they're going to marry. They tell me, they tell me, they give me a list of all that this is the person I'm going to marry. And they're trying to find the person to fit the list. I always say find the list to fit the person, not the person to fit the list. Because if you're married to your list, you're never going to get married. You're married to an image-oriented infatuation. A lot of people spend a lot of time with this idea, this euphoric idea of what they think marriage looks like and what they think is the best person for them. Well, how do you know who's the best person for you? 
How, how would you ever know? How would you know what kind of husband or wife you are? I'll tell you a secret. Of how do you know what kind of husband you want wife you are? I don't know. Pretend you broke a leg. Be in trouble. No, that's no. Oh, it's this kind of infatuation. We'll talk about that soon. You know how you know what kind of husband or wife you are? You look at how you are with the people you have to be around. How are you around your parents? What's your relationship like with your parents? I would be very scared to marry someone, and I'm saying this honestly, who does not have a good relationship with their parents. Because we don't know what kind of husband or wife we'll be, but we do know what kind of person they are. To be a good friend, that's easy. Friends come and go. You go home afterwards. Whatever you say behind their back, who knows? But to be a good child, to be a good sibling, we know a lot about a person based on their relationship with their family. Well, I have a question there. Yeah. Same thing, but a little tweak. Sure. Would you say that it's the same thing? Because this is what I heard this years and years ago. Sure. That you can tell if somebody would be a good parent if they're good to their animals. Um, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you can tell if someone is a good parent if they're good to their animals. Yeah, maybe. That's possible. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it would make sense based on the same idea that we know if they're taking care of their animals or they're neglecting their animals. We have an idea, but obviously being a parent is very different than being a caretaker of an animal. I mean, it's very, very different because you're not just... There's elements of taking care of an animal that do lend itself to parenthood, like making sure that the basic needs of a child are met. But then there's a lot more. Parenting is much more. Teaching your child to be independent, teaching, giving the child good values, all those things which are not necessarily um, a caretaker of an animal would, would, would be, you don't have to necessarily, you don't have to, you don't have to teach the fish to fish. I heard once that the, the three situations that someone's real person and other kind of comes through is when they've had too much to when they're broke and when they're stressed. So there the three situations that true personality comes through is when they drink too much alcohol and they get drunk, when they're broke and when they're stressed. I like that. That's great. I've heard that yeah. I heard that like something similar to you was when somebody's drunk, angry, and yeah, when it comes to money yeah. Yeah. money issue. Yeah. Uh Caso, Kiso and uh Yeah, it's 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 from the Talmud actually. So one of the one of the uh, one of the Tomo's relationship tips. <laughs> so I think I don't I, I think you got this down right. You you know what image oriented infatuation looks like, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 But that's not what image-oriented infatuation is. What is image-oriented infatuation? Anyone can describe it to me in a sentence? Yeah. You see in the person what you want to see in them. A lot of women like fixer-uppers. A lot of women want to marry a guy they can fix. That's image-oriented infatuation. No, they want to, they call them fixer-uppers. It's a term. In, in, in relationship coaching. 
I, I meet a lot of women who like that idea. They want to marry a guy who they can fix. Right away, you see right away, uh, I don't like your wardrobe. You know, all of a sudden, right away, they're in a relationship and she's going out and she's shopping for him and she's uh, doing this for him and she's kind of, in general, women do like to, um, do, what's the word they use? Uh, take care, but it's normal. Take care, it's a normal thing, but then there is the image-oriented, where women are looking for something that's an ideal, that's not a real person. And so what they're doing is they're trying to find it, they're trying to turn the guy they're dating into the person they want to marry. But then wouldn't the guy be really good with Most of the time, or some guys are very passive and they like it. But that's great for the moment. That's not great long term. Some men love bossy bossy women. Some men do like bossy bossy women, but there's, the other day. there's a difference, the difference between bossy bossy women and passive men who like that and image-oriented infatuation. Yet in the beginning, 
They do not know all this. In fact, they take the intensity of the infatuation, this being crazy about each other for proof of the intensity of their love, while it may only prove the degree of their preceding loneliness. So, how long might infatuation last? An hour? <coughs> A day? Sometimes it lasts until the object of our infatuation opens their mouth. Some social scientists say six to eight months. Most divorces today happen in the first 18 months. So six to eight months would be an ex a great example of what happens. The infatuation wears off, and then we have a number of months until things continuously get sour and more and more sour. According to Helen Fisher in her book, The Anatomy of Love, she says, at last infatuation fades. At some point, that magic wanes, yet there does seem to be a general link to this condition. Psychologist Dorothy Tenov measured the duration of romantic love from the moment infatuation hits to when the feeling of neutrality for one's love object began. She concluded the most frequent <coughs> interval, as well as the average, is between 18 months and three years. And that is what we always, those are our, our big trigger points. First 18 months, and then 18 months of three years. By three years, if you've made it through three years, you are already, I believe, today in the top 20% now. Fisher also draws a parallel between this three-year max and the common year couple's divorce. She says, hoping to get some insight into the nature of divorce, I turn to the demographic yearbooks of the United States. Divorce generally occurs early in marriage, peaking in or around the fourth year after the wedding, followed by a gradual decline in divorce as more years of marriage go by. She notes, interestingly, that the American divorce peak is somewhat lower than its four-year peak. It may be connected to the American instant gratification society, but whatever the reason, it's clear that infatuation has proven itself to be a weak and independable element in assessing the potential of a relationship. Temporary. Temporary infatuation. A lot of us know how to get into a relationship and have no idea what to do afterwards. A lot of us do what I call date to death. We just don't know what to do next. So the dating is like a one-night stand glorified. It's just the dating goes on and on and on. The same thing. It doesn't kind of progress. It doesn't evolve. The relationship doesn't evolve into what it should be. And it just... And then eventually, because we dated for too long. What's too long, if I'm not going to get into that, I'll talk about dating a different time. That is temporary. Number four. Number four is an interesting one. It doesn't come as common as the others, but uh, it's definitely more common in dreamers. Controlled by imagination. The fourth element of infatuation is the unleashing of the imagination through obsessive daydreams and fantasies. You find yourself replaying pictures, the scenes in your head. The daydreams are often about someone unattainable. Some people experience the fantastical roller coaster ride. It feels really good, but it also feels scary to be out of touch with reality. The fantasies take over, and you become aware that you've left 
reality behind it. And it's precisely one of the prices you pay for infatuation. You're not controlling your imagination. Your imagination is controlling you. At moments such as these, people almost feel enslaved. This struggle of infatuation is the theme of many songs in popular culture. The themes of these songs and so many others are feeling and acting like a fool, the spinning out of control of your fantasies and thoughts, the feeling of I'm not being me, almost as if you were possessed, the inability to see the object of your infatuation for who or he or she is, and the realization that in order to grow, you have to give up the object of your infatuation. People get so caught up in these fantasies of what it's going to be. And, these, and I'm sure the romantic comedies and the romance novels and all this other stuff that's coming up, it's getting more and more interesting as the years go on. It's as the imaginations of writers and as the, the imagination of the movie makers are getting more interesting, so too it's kind of blending itself into various elements. There are, there are things, I mean, there, is a very, there are very popular shows that started off in the 90s, like Friends, where that was a whole new genre of TV. And today, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on and on and on. I, mean, I, don't, even want to, I don't even know half of this stuff, but I can only imagine what's out there. I don't have to tell you, you can tell me. What's love? Love is rooted in knowing rather than imagining. Love is not a lost in fantasy. It can take a step back. Love can evaluate itself. It can see the bigger picture. Yes, there's an element of infatuation at the beginning of love. Yes, there's some imagination, some daydreaming, some difficulty sleeping. But the person is not, and this is the key, the person is not out of control. He or she can think clearly for the most part, can see the other person's faults, can logically explain on some level the basis for his or her feelings, and can act responsibly. If you can't explain why you're feeling that, now, obviously, feeling doesn't always be explained, but if you feel like you're out of control, oh my gosh, you don't even have some friends. I don't know, it's amazing. It was one that was unbelievable. The day was like, I can't imagine. It's like, whoa, wow, wow, it's like out of the ballpark. It's amazing. It's, whoa, I can't even begin to describe how incredible it was. It was just so amazing. I'll tell you two things. Number one, you're out of control. Number two, the other person hated it. <laughs> so, did you say there's a heart? Or is a brain? Think with the brain, feel with the heart. But let your thoughts allow you to still be in control. If you allow yourself to get totally infatuated with the person. Now, here's where it gets very complicated because you, a lot of us automatically approach relationships with a very strong goal. A very strong goal. Past relationships, we don't want to get hurt, we don't want to get our heart broken. So because of that, because we're automatically approaching relationships with that wall, what ends up happening is when I tell you think with your head and feel with your heart, but let your heart, let your mind guide your heart, you're like, ah, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Because then I won't get my heart broken. So you have to be careful. You have to also allow yourself to experience 
By the way, I want to tell you, there's no such thing as a good first date. It doesn't exist. And there's too, there's too many issues. Love at first sight is not possible. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's a fluke if it happens. It's not really possible. So the fact that first impression is only impression, that's really scary. Most people make up their minds after five seconds. There are people who tell me, oh, I know this from me after five seconds. Really? Really? For real? Five seconds? That's the best you're going to give a guy you're going to spend the rest of your life with? Five seconds? Okay, no, five minutes. Five minutes? No, five hours. Five hours? If you're not going on at least two serious dates, you don't know nothing. And even then, you barely know anything. Would it be, like I'm just brainstorming here, um, if I was emotional after going on three or four dates, we went to a coffee shop after a movie, the phone rings, and he says... Can I, can I stop you yeah. a second? I'm sorry. Yeah. Movies are very bad places to go for dates. I really highly suggest you not going to movies. Movie, you might as well not have gone on a date if you went to movies. I don't mind that. Okay, <laughs> sorry that I'm stopping you. Okay. Continue. So the phone rings and he says to his friend, I'm with a girl. Okay. And I get emotional because A, he hasn't told anyone that he's been going on like dates for a while. Mm -hmm. I'm not a girl. And he hasn't told his friend that we're on a date. Mm -hmm. So I feel completely ignored, it's all been rejected. So there, there's a good example. That, that thing, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's a great example. If a guy's not telling, if the phone rings, first of all, he's answering it on a date. <laughs> I, I didn't see him again. <laughs> Should I see him anymore? Should I see him anymore? Okay, thank you. If the phone is on during the day, unless he starts off with David and says, my mom is in the hospital, I may need, or I am a doctor, and I'm really sorry, but I'm on call. I mean, you've got to have an incredibly incredible excuse to have your phone on during the day. Because there should be nothing else more important than this moment. And you should be here. And there's too many uh, things that you have to go through, the emotions and the process and the dates. You cannot have your mind anywhere else. If you even look, if somebody looks at the phone on a date, they miss the point. If you're on a, I, I see a couple. If, if you're on a date with your spouse and you're looking at the phone, you miss the point. Forget about the date with someone that you just met. Now, number two, if they're not telling anybody about it, now, anybody, I, I agree with not telling people. I don't think it should be a survey in the public consumption. Oh, guess what? Hey, oh, we've been dating for two weeks. Shut up. But there are two or three people that are important to them that you really know about. So if he's hiding it because he is trying to keep the sacredness of the relationship good, that's great. But if he's trying to belittle it, that's a problem. So I thank you for that example. With my emotional reaction, if that was like, I feel hurt, rejected, appropriate then in that situation? Yes, or I would say um, you should, the, the result of that should be is, how did I get something back? Well, how did I fall for that guy? Why did I even consider? So if it was, I'm just taking everything that comes my way because I don't know, that's great. A lot of people are like that, and I, I think that in today's day, you should, if someone makes a suggestion, yes, absolutely yes. 
You know, you give every, you give every opportunity you can to, to, to meet someone, and that's amazing. And but not all of them, obviously, you'll end up having you know some good fish and some bad fish. That's the way that that's, that's the result of it. All you need is one. So. Um, Story. If, you're, if you're spending significant time with someone in your relationship with, then you have to create boundaries. So you have to say, you know, you have to create what's called the rules of engagement. But that's for a different conversation. Right now, we're, we're, we're focusing on image-oriented infatuation, which is something that happens as a result. That was a good example of image-oriented infatuation. So let's 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 move on. The real secret about selfishness, infatuation, is when you're infatuated. Sorry. Let's talk about selfish. We, by nature, are selfish. There's no one that's ever going to love us as much as we love ourselves. Not even our mothers. Close seconds but not even our mothers. No one will ever love us as much as we love ourselves. We are by nature selfish. Relationships are selfless. So by nature, we should not work. This whole relationship thing should not work. But I will tell you something interesting. Women, I'm generalizing. Women by nature are relationship beings. They are wired to be in relationships. Men, by nature, are not relationship beings. They are wired not to be in relationships. Men, by nature, are more selfish than women. Women, by nature, have the ability to go outside of themselves and to be totally selfless towards another. Men, by nature, do not have that ability. That's very good for relationships because you need both of those. But it's very hard for getting into relationships. Very, very hard to get into relationships that way. Another aspect of infatuation is that it has a selfish nature. Infatuation is about how you make me feel. I want to feel a certain way, and I feel that way when I am with you. It's self-centered. I like the way you make me feel. I like the way I feel when I'm around you. Well, how does that make you feel? That I like the way I feel when I'm around you. If that makes you feel good, well, then there's something wrong. Then you have to talk, we have to talk about enmeshed relationships, which is a different conversation. That's another thing. I, I'll talk about that in one of our sessions in the future. I, sure, I feel like giving when infatuated. However, if I'm to be honest with myself, that giving is self-serving, I'll give as long as I'm getting something. It all comes back to me. It's really all about me. This whole world is about me, and my whole life is about me, and it's all about what I'm getting at. Come on. It's all about me at the end of the day. Everything is about me, right? I'm looking for a meaningful life. It's all about me. That's how you start with meaningful. Imagine walking through a rose garden and admiring a particular rose. You would say, I love this rose. Did you see this rose? I love it. <laughs> Pluck, you just killed that rose. 
Wanting something for me on my terms has nothing to do with love. There's a, a very famous parable that's given in it in the Talmud about the baron and the fish. The baron who loved the fish. The Talmud says, the baron who loved the fish, the fisherman went out and caught the fish and the fish is, 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 is out of the water and he hears them say, oh, the baron loves fish and the fish is all excited. The baron loves fish. And so he takes it in his hand and he comes to the guard at the gate and he says, look, what do you have there, sir? have a fish for the baron. Oh, the baron loves fish. The fish is dancing with joy, even though he's out of the water. He knows the baron's going to take care of him. And then he comes into the kitchen, and the chef says, what do you have? I have a fish for the baron. Oh, the baron loves fish. And he can barely hold on to his life. And then the baron himself walks into the room. And there, he looks at the fish, and he says, cut it this way, and cut it that way and cut it this way, and line it this way. Oh, I'm so excited. And with the last bit of breath the fish has, he turns to the baron and says, you don't love the fish, you love yourself. So often when we say, I love ice cream, the word love has been distorted in our society. We're constantly using the word love for things that are completely selfish. Constantly. Yeah. No, it reminds me of how a lot of people love national parks so much that the national parks and other national preserve areas are loved to death. That's right. The national environment over there, the integrity there is you know, quite compromised. It's a very exa a great example. Is we, we, we obsess, we are infatuated with loving natural parks. And that's what happens. It's completely selfish infatuation. And this is a really common issue that's happening in our society, not only in our relationships. It's happening with a lot of things. We're loving things to death. Absolutely. It's a great example. Thank you. Love, love, true love, is all about giving. It's an ongoing concern with another, regardless of how that person makes us feel. It's about learning to get out of ourselves, out of our narcissism, and focusing on the other person. As the saying goes, Love is all about learning to spell us with a capital U. The real secret about selfishness of infatuation is like this. When you're infatuated, you're not only infatuated with the object of your infatuation, in a strange way, you're also infatuated with yourself. If you think about it, you'll notice that when you're infatuated, you're seeing yourself through the other person's eyes. It makes you feel really good for that moment because the person you're dating looks at you adoringly. You feel adorable. When he or she thinks that you're smart, you feel smart. That creates a strange dependence and insecurity that tomorrow, if he or she may not find you adorable, then you're no longer going to feel adorable. And once again, it comes back to me. You see, what ends up happening is we base our self-image, our view of ourselves, on what the other person thinks of us. And we do that not only with our partners, without, not only the person we're dating, we do that with the whole society. We base our self-image on what other people think. And when those people don't think that, or we don't think those people think that, or we don't feel those people feel that, or we don't hear that enough from people, 
I hear people take down their pictures from Instagram if they don't get enough likes. I hear that people are deleting comments on Facebook if they don't get enough likes. And today on Facebook, it's not just likes. You can love. What? It's amazing, yes. Mm -hmm. And you can be sad. What? And you can be, I don't know, a bunch of other emotions under people's posts. This is an amazing world. And people are waiting for that self-appraisal from others before they look at themselves. We are basing, we're so selfish, we're so narcissistic, we're such a selfie generation that we actually truly, thoroughly enjoy holding our phones up like that and taking pictures of ourselves. And let everyone see, look at me, look where I am. Hi. Wait, 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 wait. Right? And then last. Last is going to be the most complicated one for you. Number six, infatuation promotes insecurity. Insecurity is generated by infatuation. It's something that's built into the very foundation of infatuation. When infatuated, you are thrilled but not happy. Being thrilled is a superficial excitement. It lacks the calm or inner comfort of happiness. The thrill of infatuation seems to be accompanied by a cloud of uncertainty hovering over your head. The worry that tomorrow the spell will wear off and you'll lose interest. If you get into your relationship based on infatuation, you're always worried, well maybe it's, maybe it's not gonna work. You know, there's a lot of couples who get engaged and they've never had a serious conversation. Never have a serious conversation. I had, I just had one of the most mm -hmm. difficult conversations I've ever had with a couple. So before I, part of my pre-marriage program is each of the two, uh, man and woman, need to fill out an independent 45-minute questionnaire. Then what I do is I create an analysis of the strengths and weaknesses of their relationship. So one of the questions is a pretty basic question, which I think most couples should have had a conversation. How many kids do you want? Do you think that would be a conversation that would come up? So these people were dating for a year and a half, and they've been engaged for six months. So they know each other for a minimum of two years. And they took my questionnaire, came back. He said he wants zero, and she said she wants three. That was a really, really tough conversation. Really tough conversation. We got through it. And we found the compromise, and they changed, they both had to change their numbers, because that's part of compromise. And there's other, there's enough reasons for them to get married that, that we were able to get through the conversation, I want to tell you, it was one of the most difficult hours of my life. I feel really bad and really incredible at the same time that I was able to kind of let them see this part of their relationship before they got married, but also really bad that I had to go through this with them. But I asked them, after we finished the conversation, how did it happen? How did it happen that the two of you know each other for two years and you never had a conversation about how many kids you want? And she looks at me, honestly, and she says, it was too good, I didn't want to go out to stop. <clears throat> Promotes insecurity. That happens 
through infatuated relationship. You're so insecure that you're afraid to even bring up things that are really, really, really important to your relationship. That's how insecure you are in the relationship. So, before I continue, these are my six elements of infatuation. What do you think? Any comments, thoughts? And then we're going to move on to the last part of my talk. Yeah. Yeah, I also just want to quote from Perfect uh, Alcoholics that, uh, you know, love which is dependent on, you know, something superficial you know, is not going to last. Whereas very good. Thank you. Yeah. So it says in the chapter Ethics of Our Fathers in Perfect Alcoholics, <coughs> love that's dependent upon something else is not going to last. It's, thank you. It's a good thing I should have added that to my thing. <laughs> would have felt a little more within it. What else? We're good. I think uh, we're clear on all this now. I'm sure, I hope, that you're, you're able to see some of your own relationship struggles through some of these. I, I didn't want to get into too many specific stories because I, I want you to create your own narratives in your mind. I want you to be able to create, you don't have to tell me or anyone else those stories, but I really want those narratives, I want you to see each and every one and, and circle those elements of infatuation that you find that you've gotten into. Now let's get on to the last part of tonight's talk. I'm often asked this question, and tonight, in the beginning of our talk, it came up. I'm happy it did. The question is, can infatuation lead to love? Can infatuation lead to a long-term relationship? If we started our relationship with any of these elements, are we doomed from the end? Or is there any hope for us? So here's my thought. Although infatuation can theoretically lead to love, often it doesn't. The reason is because, truth be told, any and every dating experience is at least partially affected by infatuation. That's why dating is so confusing. If infatuation and love had nothing to do with each other, life would be much easier. Infatuation is really meant to be part of the spark at the beginning of the relationship. However, it cannot be the foundation of the relationship. If infatuation should be part of the spark at the beginning, the question is how big of a part can infatuation be? The equation of love versus infatuation works like this. If the relationship is based in 80 to 100% infatuation, the chances are very slim that this relationship will ever mature into love. There's no foundation for love. And most people in such a situation won't do the work necessary in order to build the love. If on the other hand, infatuation is kept in check, if it's only about 10 to 30%, there's tremendous potential for love because when infatuation is kept in check, you are in reality. You can see the bigger picture because there is a bigger picture. If you can't see the bigger picture, it's a good sign that there is none. If you are too scared to mess up something that's a good thing, because if you have that conversation about having kids, 
maybe you're not going to be happy with the result, and as a result, you're going to break up. Well, there's a good chance you're probably going to end up breaking. It's hard. It's very hard. Because there are a lot of people who are afraid of too much of a good thing going south. So they're afraid to talk about anything that's an iota more serious than tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Is infatuation and lust the same? Um, yes and no. Lust is a confusion. For example, um, I mean, you've heard me say this before, but uh, people who, who touch in the beginning of their relationships, that creates a magnetic, uh, certain magnetic that they confuse, that confuses love, and that's lust. So, um, yes, I would say that a lot of lust can be infatuation, a lot of infatuation can be lustful. I mean, again, the English language I find is a very poor language to describe relationships. We need much. <laughs> but in general, I think language is very poor for relationships because relationships are so much greater than anything that we can ever describe. So, before I talk about what to do about it, I want to just talk about five signs that your infatuation is a problem. And I wrote this here for you uh, to take home. <clears throat> Because I think that this is a really good thought for you when you're in a relationship to see if the relationship is at the point where I may be at that 80 to 100%. So number one, it's become the basis for a relationship and there's nothing else there. The infatuation is, is all the relationship and you, you cannot get further than that. You're totally head over heels. You're ooing and eyeing and gooing and... You, you know what a good example is? I'm not saying this across the board, but very often, if you see people that are putting every element of the relationship on Facebook, probably that's more than 80% of passion. Not always, but would be a good indicator. People who put their entire relationship on Facebook. Number two, you're so affected by the natural attraction that you can't see who the other person really is. Therefore, you can't make a clear and responsible choice as to whether to commit Number three, you're, what? What do you mean by natural attraction? You're, we're, we're attracted to each other. We're, we're so naturally attracted to each other that, that we can't see anything else. Like, what do you mean? We're perfect for each other. I, and, and everyone around you is saying, hello, good morning. <laughs> do you see what's going on? He's using you. She's using you. And you're like, what do you mean? Everything's wonderful. It's great. It's just, what, what do you mean? He's so amazing. How can you say that? You're the problem. He's not the problem. You're the problem. <coughs> Number three, you're infatuated with someone that you know is bad for you. Therefore, being in a relationship with him or her will be self-destructive. They bring out the worst in you in so many ways. You're involved, number four, in a relationship moving towards marriage, but you find yourself thinking about someone you've dated in the past. <laughs> Comparing. And number five, you're wasting a tremendous amount of time being frustrated with a fantasizing life with someone you could never marry. So, I can't leave you as a negative note. So what I'm going to do is I'd like to show you 
what are the six signs of a healthy relationship. And what we're going to do is we're going to use exactly every single thing that we learned tonight to show you what a healthy relationship looks like. So let's start from the, from the bottom. We said that infatuation promotes insecurity. So what is a healthy relationship? Secure. If you get security from a healthy relationship, if you feel secure in the relationship, if you feel the person has your back, if you feel the person cares about you to the exclusion of all others, then you are in a healthy relationship. Number two, we said that selfish, infatuation is selfish. What is the opposite? A healthy relationship is selfless. What does selfless mean? It means I am there for you. It's you. As Rabbi Friedman says sometimes, it's not I love you, it's you I love. Next we said, Infatuation is controlled by imagination. What's the opposite of that? Truth. Reality. It's real. Relationship needs to be real. What does that mean? What is real? I don't even know what's real. Yeah. If you don't know what that means, if you can't think of what is real, then that is a great discovery program you have to go on. Find out what is a real relationship look like. What does it mean? A relationship is not based on external motivators. That's not based on other things, extraneous things. That's not all about the romance and the love and the, I don't know, whatever else you guys talk about. <laughs> what is real? What do I really need? Not what I want, not what I'm infatuated about. What do I really need? Who am I really? Who am I? And what is it that I really need? Next, we said that infatuation is temporary. What is true relationships? They are? Permanent. Real relationships are permanent. And from the beginning, we are focused on a serious relationship and a serious commitment. Then we said, infatuation is image-oriented. What is a real relationship? Soul-oriented. Mm, so I like that, soul-oriented. That's great. What else? Realistic. Realistic. That's great. Or, what's the next one? Not superficial, but deep. We are truly, truly interested in understanding the essence of who we are. And we become better people as a result of being in this relationship. This relationship uplifts us. It builds us up. It builds up our character. It builds up our own image of ourselves. It helps us realize our purpose and our mission in this world. Because 
according to Kabbalah, without this relationship, I'm only half of myself. When we reunite, the reason why we celebrate is because we are reuniting with the two halves of one soul. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a celebration. The celebration is two halves of one soul are reunited and becoming one. That is a very deep, very spiritual, very impactful and, 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 and momentous moment to realize that you can actually have a relationship with someone who's able to bring out the best in you in a way that you can't do yourself. And the last one, we said effortless. What is it everlasting? What is a deep, what is a deep relationship? It requires hard work. Effort. Difficult maybe, uh, maybe. But you know what? The reason why I wrote difficult is not because I want to scare you. Because the point is that it just doesn't happen. It does take work. Relationships, and, and the, you know, I always say to the couples who are getting married, oh, you think that you're getting married and now it's over. Now it's just beginning. And I want to tell you couples that work on their relationships and constantly work on their relationships, you can see the difference. It doesn't just happen. You, you interview couples who are married for a long time, they didn't just be married for a long time. They continuously are working on it and evolving and working on themselves together. I have a question. That I, well, that, I don't that. Sure. I, um, I've always been fascinated with relationships. And ever since this, the film Kosher Love came out and uh, kind of changed, to a certain extent, changed my life, as it's kind of brought me to the forefront of discussing and talking about, gone all over talking about relationships. So there's a, a, a production company that approached me. And I, the way I end up the film is I say, you know, I'm curious and I want to know more. I want to know what a long term relationship looks like. And so we just started filming Old People in Love, where we are, I, I'm interviewing couples that are married 50 years plus. And in the beginning, it's always like it's very hard to get them to talk. Right, you know, in the beginning, I, I, I mean, it's a very famous joke, but my first interview, the, the, the couple, you know, so, so I said, so, what's, what's marriage like? So he's like, marriage, Hungarian. That marriage is like two days. Wow, that's so nice. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. But, so in the beginning, in the beginning it's a big joke. You know, they're all, they're all they're joking with each other. But, but after a while, you start getting these pearls of wisdom. I can't tell you what a 50-year relationship looks like because I've never been in a 50-year relationship. I've been in a 13-year marriage. In 13 years, I can tell you, the satisfaction that you get from a long, I would consider today, we're already in the higher, I don't know, 6 or 7 percentile, so <laughs> I think I can, I think I'm already, uh, can talk about my experience in marriage. The satisfaction that you get from a long-term relationship, from that, the, the, the stability, the satisfaction that you get, you, you can't, you, 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 you can't even compare anything to it. It's just 
there, there's a basic human need that is needed, and part of that does not come in a year or two or three. And a lot of people who have had those year or two or three or four, or even five-year relationships, it's not, it's not the same. It, it changes at seven, eight, nine, ten years. There's, there's a big change with that. And you can't get, you know, the seven-year itch. You can't get over the seven, eight, nine years without a tremendous amount of work. Really? It doesn't just happen. Really? It's not so just happening for nobody. It's true what they say about the seven years. It, it's, it's actually, the, so they say, so majority of divorces happen between the first 18 months, the next is the 18 to, 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 to 36 months, and then the next part is seven to nine years, and the next part is 18 years. I haven't gotten to the 18 year mark, so I don't know. I got bored after 18 years. So there. I, but I wanted to after the first year, and I just. Yeah, so that's, that's a different story. I mean, a, a lot of people who, um, 18 years is an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and I've spoken to quite a few couples who um, or came singles also that have gotten divorced after 18 years. It's very common. Uh, it's, 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 I understand that there's a certain element that happens. I, I don't know. I haven't reached that moment yet, so I, I, I can't tell you uh, what it is. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's important to know that it's not easy. It's not easy, and it takes. What ends up happening? So at the 18 year mark, is we've gone so far apart that there's no way to, like, we don't even know each other anymore. The people who first met in the beginning, even if there was a glimmer of hope for them, at 18 years they grow so far apart that there's just nothing to even, I've had couples that, that I mean, I try my hardest. I'm, a, I'm very pro-marriage, as many of you know, but at some point you have to say, like, divorce is a mitzvah also. That's the reality. And these two people could have very easily, perhaps that was what happened to you, is that they've, they've grown so far apart there's no way to, and so we don't want that. We don't want that, and that takes a lot of work. You can't just live parallel lives and expect that you're that, that you're not going to grow apart. You have to live one life as two halves of a whole. I think that what I discovered really quick, I'll just say it's really important that really wasn't important in a relationship. It's friendship, and that wasn't there. Well, it's one of yeah, one of the elements. One of the elements. Well, very often people get divorced after 18 years; they don't have the friendship. But there's other elements that are very important. No, I'm saying any relationship that you're in needs the, to be the, the, the number one friendship. thing that is necessary for a long-term relationship, I say post seven years, is curiosity. Because it's very easy for curiosity to kind of wind away, and, and, and that, I think, is really, really important. It's not good communication and compromise? Communication, compromise, trust. Trust only happens after seven years, actually, oh, okay. uh, according to most studies. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken about this in other classes, and I'm happy to talk about it at a different time, but um, yeah, so people think that trust is actually is, is tremendously important, but you don't get that until you have a long-term relationship. So these are all these are all very important factors. Do you think that long-distance relationships last? What? The long-distance relationships last? The long-distance relationships last? Um, I gave a class a couple of years ago about long-distance relationships. There's good and bad in long-distance relationships, so be very careful about them because it's very, very easy. What ends up happening in long distance relationships, just in a nutshell, is when you're together, it's very intense, and that's not good. There's a lot of lust in there, and there's a lot of infatuation in there. Uh, so you have to be very careful with that to know what you're really looking for and who you really are. And um, you also have to know while you're not together what that conversation, what that is. It, it could very well be that it's one big infatuation. And very often I find long distance relationships that I've been involved with um, is that it's one big infatuation. Is it orthodox? Like you guys, you could be from New 
Did they ask me to go fetch rules? It's very, very controlled. I, I, I would not. I would not. I would not at all put that example because in the Orthodox world, it's very controlled. You, there's a lot of background checking beforehand, and after the background checking, you're going to go meet in person. You're not going to have a long distance relationship, and then you're not just on the phone every single day. You're not on the phone every single day. You may not speak. If, if, and, and if you want to see that person again, then you have to find a way to get to, to that city again, or the other person comes to the other city. I mean, there's a lot of. It's a very, very controlled, and also the matchmaker, the shotgun. Is going to control even a lot of the a lot of the style of the dates in the in the conversation. So in the Orthodox world, it's a whole different world. But also, in the second world, it's also much faster. It is, and you're both dating for marriage, so it, it, yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it could be it could be that you went back and forth three four times, and, and then you're going to get engaged. I was asked that fifty times, and I would never do it again. Well, I think in today's world, we live in a different world today. I probably uh, would agree with you for most of the time. That's yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a question out of my perspective. Okay, sure. I feel that like maybe like our generation, like the younger generation, also like the whole values that our society have nowadays make relationships much harder. Like I speak to my mom and how like she got to meet my dad, right. how we got married and everything. It seemed right. not much simple, but it, it seemed much like more straightforward. Whereas. I, so I don't I, know what's wrong with our society nowadays. I've been doing this for now almost 15 years. Choice. Too much choice. Tinder destroyed everything. Who? Tinder. Tinder destroyed everything. The whole idea, it's not even the choice. The J swipe, the Tinder, the whole swipe right, swipe left thing, it just changed everything. You 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 know, often I'll, I'll make a recommendation for someone, and it's a recommendation that I spend a lot of time looking into and researching, and they'll say, anyone else? That's the first question I get. Anyone else? That's it? Oh, I'm not interested. Why? I don't know. Really? And and, and there's such a it's such a fast paced generation. That's like they're choosing and, a car. And, and the, 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 the car. It's very hard. And there's also no boundaries and priorities in relationships. I know, I, I agree with you a lot. What do we do? Oh, it's a whole different conversation. In a nutshell, you have to build up some boundaries and priorities. And it, Really, if I, if I had to say this, and again, I'm generalizing, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the entire generation, is the women should protect themselves a little more. Yes. And they should not give everything away. Do I have to, do I have to this is great. elaborate? If we run after it, it runs away from us. We run away from it and run after us. Women, women, it's a very important. Women's lib has been amazing. Women's lib, we're in a generation that doesn't even know what women's, women's lib is anymore. But women's lib, what it did to the world, the idea of women being able to vote, being having equal uh, in the job, it's amazing besides for, in every way besides for relationships. And so today, what we have to do is we have to remember this generation that the men have to run after and not, the, not vice versa. We need to, you have to constantly create a way for men to run after. And the men need to say that you have to run after. If you want something, go get it. That's what I say to the men. And to the women, I say, don't be the man. Does that help? Men don't like to play hard to get it. No, men should not be playing hard to get it. Women, they don't like a woman. It's not hard. You don't have to play hard to get it. That's what you're saying. No. 